Um, glory to God. We'll just pray. Thank you, Father, that uh, you're here with us in our midst, that you poured out your Holy Spirit so that you could dwell in us and be with us in our midst simultaneously. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit um, quicken inside of us the faith of Jesus, quicken inside of us what was in his heart um, as he was afflicted with the death of the cross. Thank you, Father, that uh, there's comfort for us in you, that there's help for us in our time of need in you, that there's grace for us in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. I mean, God, God went to great lengths to, to get us the help we need and the comfort we need and to like demonstrate to us where those things were found. I mean, he realized the only way he could actually show us the faith that was full of power to serve us with comfort and grace and strength and uh, mercy when we're in our time of need, he realized the only way he could actually demonstrate that to us and be a light unto our feet is if he entered into that place himself and we could behold it in him. You know, we, we talk about that a lot of times. I don't know if you guys realize it, but in our own personal lives, when we've experienced times in the darkness, where we've been in the darkness and the Lord, like, let us out, we beheld something in the Lord and He then let us out. Listen, we become a light to people who are in the darkness. And the reason why we become a light is because they observe something in our life that delivered us and they can see it themselves and then they can be delivered by the same thing. Or as Paul would come and say, I didn't come to lord it over your faith. I came that you might be comforted with the same comfort that I've been comforted with. And so we needed comfort from the afflictions that were in this world. And the Lord saw that the only way he could get comfort to us is if we could see where comfort was found. And said so the only way they can see where comfort is found is if we first come into the earth and we stand in the midst of their affliction and we suffer the contradiction that's coming against their lives, against ourselves, And then they see where we look for comfort when we need it. And then they can consider the same thing we can consider. And they can be comforted with the same comfort we're comforted with. Jesus needed comfort when he was on the cross. And he considered something. He looked somewhere and he found comfort. There was comfort for him in the midst of that affliction. And now through him coming and entering into our death and in, into our sin and in that place needing comfort and needing help and him looking to the one who could comfort him or to the one in whom there is comfort, we can behold the faith that was in his heart in him. And we can find ourselves considering the same thing he did and looking to the same place that he looked for comfort. And then we can be comforted with the same comfort he was comforted with. That's a whole lot of comforts. Comfort, comfort you, comfort you, my people. Speak comfortably to them. Um, I also just want to give, I forgot, but I want to give a shout out to uh, Lawson all the way out in Australia. Um, Joe's grandson. Joe's grandson listens to all the messages and goes to sleep listening to the messages. And so Lawson, um, you will be blessed in your deed. Uh, the, the word of the Lord does not return unto him void, but it accomplishes that which it, it, it was sent to do. And the word that you are listening to as you go to sleep and whenever you listen to it, that word is a word that is full of life. It is the Father sowing himself and sowing his love into your heart. It is the Father sowing, serving you with his incorruptible life, and you will be blessed in your hearing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, it's been several weeks ago now, but... And Becky and I had the COVID, so we quarantined, and so we're like on a delay. But um, several weeks ago, Matt preached about the great contradiction. And it was, to use church language, it was a word in due season, right? It was a word in due season. Um, I know myself and several other people um, that are part of the fellowship here are dealing with contradictions in their life. And as I was listening to Matt, um, it, it was just powerful. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you think you need so many difficult, comp complex understandings, and you can have those too, but sometimes it's just a simple thing that's powerful. But it was just powerful as Matt was preaching about the great contradiction and all the things the Lord was ministering to me. It, it was just powerful knowing that the Father knows exactly what you need and when you need it. 
and he can come and give you a prophetic word. And that's really more like what a prophetic word is. You can get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge about a specific situation, but that's more like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And if someone wants to call that prophetic, I mean, I'm not going to argue with them to, to, about it. They can believe what they want. But a prophetic word is really a word that comes forth from the scriptures, right? Through the voice of someone's mouth. And it encourages you in the Lord. It encourages you in the truth. And it was just a powerful thing as Matt was preaching about the great contradiction, what the Lord was ministering to me. And I just started thinking how awesome it was, how powerful it was that God can see exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. And he can come and give us a prophetic word and speak comfortably to us and serve us with the nutrients that we need to be able to endure the contradictions we, we are encountering in our lives, right? When we're encountering it. Like you talked about in the Bible study, Barb, and you were on the ground, and it was sorrow upon sorrow for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the Lord could see exactly what you need when you needed it, and He came and ministered it to you. Um, listen, we're we're gonna. There's stuff in this world. We're gonna encounter stuff in this world. You guys realize that we're gonna encounter stuff in this world. Things are going to come across our paths that are contrary to life. And all that is good. <laughs> right? We, stuff is going to come up. We will face contradictions in the, the, the way people treat us. We'll, we'll face contradictions in our relationships. I don't, listen, I don't like it any more than you. Yeah. Right? But it, it's going to happen. We're going to face contradiction in the way people treat us. There will be things that stand opposed to our honor, to our name, to our reputation, there will be things that try to contradict that God is with us or even in us. We see that in Jesus at the cross. I mean, he's one with God and the Pharisees come. And you know what the Pharisees said to Jesus? Where's your God now? Do you see there was something there that was a contradiction to the fact that God was with him, even in him? It was so great a contradiction, the cross actually was so great a contradiction that probably 90% of the church world actually believes God wasn't there. And that God wasn't with him. And that God wasn't in him. That's how great the contradiction was. So there'll be things that we encounter that try to contradict the truth or the knowledge that God is with us, even in us. And not just with us and in us, but actually there upholding our lives. There will things that will try to contradict the truth that God is upholding your life. There'll be times where you encounter things in this world where you think your life is being overcome and it's trying to contradict the fact that God is there upholding you. Right? There'll be things that try to contradict that we have everything we need for life and godliness. There will things that will try and stand opposed to that truth and tell you, no, you don't. What about? Doesn't this evidence contradict that you have everything that you need for life and godliness? I mean, have you ever felt? I mean, if I say you have everything you need for life and godliness right now, as we all say, amen. And then we leave and we encounter something that contradicts that we have everything we need for life and godliness, right? So we're going to run into stuff like that. Stuff like that's going to come across our past. But be of good cheer. You know, like Jesus said, uh, there's tribulation in this world. You will encounter tribulation. He didn't say, go off and be very sorrowful about it. He didn't say, yes, and this tribulation will be overcoming your life and you'll suffer, you know, while you're here in the tribulation and then one day you'll be free. He didn't say that. He said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the tribulation. So even though we're going to run into these things, we're not going to dwell on these things or consider these things in the sense of twisting on them. We're going to be of good cheer because we're going to know there's comfort for us in the midst of our affliction. There's rest for our souls. There's grace for us that can give us the strength we need to be able to endure. Our hearts can be filled with the abundance of God's life even in the midst of the contradiction. Our hearts can be kept from fear by the abundance of God's life in the midst of the contradiction. Right? Yeah. And so that's what we focus on. Right? The God who's greater than the affliction. The God who's greater than the contradiction. The God who came and contradicted the contradictions. Right? That's what our minds are filled with when we're in the midst of the contradiction. Glory to God. And so I wanted to keep twisting on what Matt talked about. And, you know, I'm sure we'll say a bunch of the same things. But 
it meant something to me, and I felt that I'm going to roll with it. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. If you like to follow along. And I've, I mean, I read these verses from a different perspective, I think like six months ago now. I think the name of the message is Help. Beautiful. Go listen to it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. That's looking unto Jesus, and now he follows that up. For consider him. Consider him. When? When do you consider him? When you're in the midst of afflictions. Right? That's the, the purpose here, right? But we're going to consider Jesus all the time. But in the midst of the afflictions, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Right? So run your race with patience. That's not telling you you, you should be patient, right? What, what it's saying is, is as you live in this world, it's kind of like what Paul talked about. Um, I was, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Um, yet I live, he says, but the life I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He's given you um, a cheat sheet for how you run the race right? You don't try to be patient, right? What he's saying is, if you walk, if you walk your days in this earth, if you live your life in this earth, beholding the faith that was revealed in Jesus, it will fill you with patience and strengthen you to run the race, right? That's what he's talking about. And so the way you run the race, the way the believer runs the race is we live our lives in this world looking unto Jesus, the beginning and end of the faith. We live our lives in this earth beholding Jesus. We consider Jesus. We look unto Jesus. That's how we run the, the race. We continuously behold the faith that was revealed in Jesus because everything we need as we walk through this world is contained in the faith that was revealed in Jesus. Or says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, the R was added by human beings because they couldn't understand that Jesus is the faith. And they couldn't understand that faith is a noun in the majority of the places in the New Testament. So you pull out that hour, even though we do believe on the faith, and what it's saying there is looking unto Jesus, the beginning and end of the faith that will cause you to endure. The beginning and end of the faith that will comfort you in the midst of your affliction. The beginning and end of the faith that will prevent you from growing weary in your mind and fainting when you're in the midst of contradictions. The beginning and end of the faith that will fill you with patience as you walk through this world. Patience about what? What are we about patience? We think, well, I need to be patient in the car. I need to be patient with people. Well, you might be patient in the car and you might be patient with people as you find the patience of God born in you. But that's not what it's talking about when it says that you might run your race with patience. Do you know what it is we all want? And do you know what we're very impatient about? Seeing life manifest and seeing the things that afflict us and the affliction that are in this world removed. We struggle to feel patience with that. And that growing weary in your mind, fainting in your mind, what it's referring to is you, you being overcome by the affliction, right? And your desire to see life manifest. Right? And it compelling you to pick up your own life. And it compelling you to try to produce life yourself. That's what it's talking about. And so the author of Hebrews is looking unto the faith that was revealed in Jesus. Because the faith that was in him, that is him, that was even in his heart as he walked the earth as the son of man, that faith is filled with comfort for you. 
It's filled with mercy for you. It's filled with strength for you. It's filled with help for you. It's filled with patience for you. It's filled with all those things. So as you walk in this world, encountering contradictions, encountering things that stand opposed to your good name, that stand opposed to your reputation, that stand opposed to your honor, that stand opposed to all that is good in life, that stand opposed to the, the fact that you have all things that pertain to life and godliness, man, consider the faith that was revealed in Jesus because that will secure you. That will keep your heart from fear. It will produce abundance in your heart in the midst of the great contradiction that is the death that's in this world. And that will fill you with patience as you walk in this world, right? You won't find yourself thinking, what's wrong with God? Why is it taking so long? (laughs) I like how Peter says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but he is long suffering. That's patience. He's filled with patience. Right? Knowing there's a certainty that life will manifest. Knowing he has a certainty that many sons and daughters will come to glory. But him not willing that any should perish, he's not slack or lazy or lackadaisical or late in bringing forth the promise. Right? But he's filled with patience, knowing that nothing can keep light from removing darkness. Nothing can keep life from removing death. Right? Hallelujah. So that's, that's the way we run the race. Right? And so the author of Hebrews comes and says, look unto Jesus. Consider Jesus. And that's not just talking about, well, you see Jesus, now you believe on Jesus and you go about your day. There's a a much more in-depth meaning of what he means when he says, look unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, consider Jesus. What he's saying there is fix your mind on the substance of what you see in Jesus. Fix your mind on the substance of what you see in Jesus. Turn your eyes away from every other thing and the afflictions you are surrounded by and fix them with an undivided attention on what is revealed in Jesus. In his death and in his resurrection is what he's talking about right? Turn your eyes away from the afflictions that have beset you or the afflictions or the contradictions you encounter in this world and let your undivided attention be set or fixed on the things that were revealed in Jesus in his death and in his resurrection because there was a faith revealed in Jesus that can actually serve you with everything you need in the midst of your affliction, right? When you're in the, in the midst of encountering something that stands opposed to your name, that's a contradiction to your honor, that's a contradiction to your reputation, so many times we can think what we need is to, to make our reputation look clean or to stand up for our honor. But actually what we need is to look at the faith that was revealed in Jesus because the comfort we desire doesn't come from proving to people we have a good reputation. The peace we desire, the rest that we long for in our souls doesn't come from us proving to other people or causing other people to honor us. I mean, the scripture says from Jesus' own mouth, how can you receive the honor that comes from God when you seek the honor that comes from man? And so if you long for honor and you encounter something in this world, it's a contradiction to your honor. It stands opposed to your honor. Listen, man, don't try and find the honor from the world. Don't try to make your name straight to the world to where you can gather honor from the world, but rather see the Father of lights has honored you when he raised Jesus as the Son of Man from the dead. Because that will give you the comfort that you will think you'll find from gaining the honor of the world or from the honor of man. Right? Looking unto Jesus. You desire honor? Looking unto Jesus. You desire a good reputation? Looking unto Jesus. You desire a good name? Looking unto Jesus. Consider Jesus, right? (laughs) Consider Jesus and what it is that strengthened him to endure the contradiction of sinners against himself, right? Because he received strength. I mean, what is it that strengthened this guy to endure the contradiction of the cross? I mean, I promise you, whatever it is that strengthened him to endure the contradiction of the cross, it is more than enough to also strengthen you. And that's what the author of Hebrews is getting at. You guys are busy with all these things trying to find strength to endure in this world. 
And he's trying to tell them, but there's a guy named Jesus who received strength to endure the contradiction of sinners against himself, the contradiction of the death of the cross. Consider him because the strength you need to endure in the midst of this world, the strength you need to endure when afflictions come upon you, listen, man, it's found in the faith that was in his heart when he was on the cross. And so consider Jesus, twist on Jesus, fix your eye on Jesus, turn away from every other thing that you think can serve you with comfort. Don't hung, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. Blessed are those who look unto God and his ability to comfort them. They shall be comforted. When you're in the midst of affliction and you're looking around wanting to find comfort, wanting to find help, wanting to find strength, listen, man, don't look at all the things you can do and all the things you can have and all the things you can make straight. Consider Jesus, lest you become wearied in your mind and you faint. Meaning that you're no longer filled with patience as you're walking in this world, but you've been overcome by your desire for life. And your desire for life has switched from a desire and turned into a lust. And now you're lusting after life through the strength that's in the world or the strength that's in your own hand. Consider Jesus, that you might be filled with the divine nature. And I'm not talking about eternal salvation. I'm talking about that you might be filled with the virtue of the fruit of his life, the comfort that comes from him, the peace that comes from him, the rest that comes from him, the grace that comes from him, the mercy that comes from him. That's what you need. Consider Jesus. Do you know how easy it is for us all to consider everything else other than Jesus? And we could just be honest with each other. It's like a support group. In support groups, you go there because you can just tell people and you're like, hey, we'll just be honest. Listen, there's many times we're all looking at everything else except Jesus. And so we, we ought not to despise the chastisement of the Lord, right? Because whom the Lord loveth, he corrects, right? And his correction is not for his own benefit so he can feel better about you. It's not from the place of anger where he's dissatisfied with you. His correction is from the place where he sees you need comfort. He sees you need strength. He sees you need help in your time of need. He sees you need patience and he knows where that's found. And he's coming to try to put that in front of your face and encourage you to turn away from looking to these other things because he sees that in you looking to everything else other than the faith that was revealed in Jesus, do you know what he sees is happening to you? You're growing weary and you're fainting in your mind. Have you ever felt weary and like you were fainting in your mind? Have you ever felt that? Well, listen, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean that you don't love God. Do you know what it means? You've been considering something other than the Lord Jesus. You've been considering something other than the faith that was revealed in his death and his resurrection. And that's why you're growing weary. And that's why you're fainting in your mind. And so that's why the Lord would come to correct. Right? His correction is unto comfort. His correction is unto your life being animated with his grace. His correction is unto you finding rest, right? And the correction is in the heart where he, you're busy looking at all the afflictions. You're busy looking at all the things that are a contradiction to you having life, which there's great, as Matt said, the great contradiction. You're busy looking at all those things and you're analyzing them all. You're adding them all up. You're looking for the sum total of all the pain, all the darkness, all the things that are wrong. And there's a big giant of darkness in your sight, all the contradictions, all the things that are in the way of you having life, all the corruption. And there you are twisting on it, twisting on it, twisting on it, twisting on it. And you're trying to tell God about it. You're trying to tell God about how great it is. You're trying to tell God about how insurmountable the mountain is. And the correction of the Lord is he comes and stands next to you and he says, I see your mountain, but look at my life. And then he sticks his life next to your mountain. And the mountain shrinks. <laughs> because next to the life of God, the mountain is nothing. The life of God can remove the mountain in less than a millisecond and flatten the valleys and the plateaus, the, the heights, right? The high places. That's the correction of the Lord, right? That's, that's how we, we want to look at it. So the author of Hebrews he talked, he, he, if you keep reading in those chapters, he talks about them experiencing afflictions. And so what he's saying is, listen, as you are walking in this world, you will encounter contradictions and afflictions. You will encounter things that stand opposed to life and in all that is good. You will encounter things that look like a contradiction to you having life and godliness. And what he's saying is, I don't want you to be overwhelmed 
by discouragement. When you encounter those things, I don't want you to be discouraged, right? Man, there was a powerful message in the conference that comes to my mind as I say this. Gregory Rether preached it. But he quoted a verse in Isaiah, and I'm going to end up talking about it, but it really blessed me. He quoted a verse in Isaiah, and it's the Lord saying, He will not be discouraged. And it like flipped the script for me, right? It's like the Lord will not be discouraged in his zeal to serve me with life. And so if I feel discouraged, really, who freaking cares? Because he is not discouraged. Sometimes when we feel discouraged, we can be overwhelmed with the discouragement. Right? Like this this discouragement is so great. How can we find ourselves here? How will we ever get out of here? And we start twisting on the discouragement, looking unto the discouragement, considering the discouragement, right? But Isaiah come and said, the Lord will not be discouraged. His zeal for your life and his zeal to bring forth his life in you, he will never be discouraged in the pursuit of that. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. So the author of Hebrews is saying, I want you to be overcome with discouragement thinking that your life is being overcome when you encounter afflictions. I don't want you feeling as if God doesn't care when you encounter the contradictions in this world. Remember when they were in the boat and Jesus was sleeping and they were like being tossed all over the place? I mean, what did they say to Jesus? They were overcome. And with, don't you care, Lord, that we perish? Well, see, there was a contradiction there. There was a contradiction to them having life in that storm. And they were filled with discouragement. And they were thinking that the Lord didn't care that they were going to perish. And the author of Hebrews is saying, when you encounter contradictions in this world, I don't want you to be like the disciples in the boat, where they felt like the Lord didn't even care about their life. That the contradiction they saw, the afflictions they were encountering, were somehow a sign that the Lord doesn't care. The author of Hebrews is saying, I don't want you to be moved from the hope of the gospel and the certainty that you have of life manifesting. I don't want you to grow weary and faint in your mind when you encounter something that's contrary to life manifesting, thinking that you no longer have a certainty of life manifesting. I want your mind to continuously be filled with the certainty you have of the glory of God and His life that dwells in you and the certainty of what that life will do in you. That's what I want you to be considering as you walk in this earth. That's what I want you to be looking unto. That's what I want to captivate your undivided attention as you walk in this world. I don't want you left in the place where the strength or rather the weakness you see in your flesh and in this world is lifted up in your heart. Because that's what tries to happen when we encounter afflictions and contradictions. We feel weak. And then the weakness we feel tries to get lifted up in our hearts where all we can think about every day is the weakness. And our daily bread becomes the weakness. The weakness we see in our bodies. The weakness we see in our lives around us. And that becomes our daily bread. The author of Hebrews says, I don't want the weakness that's in the world, the weakness you see in your flesh, the deadness you see around you. I don't want that to be lifted up in your heart. Consider the one who resisted sin on the blood. Don't consider the weakness you see in your body. Don't consider the depth you see around you. Consider the one who resisted sin unto blood. Consider Jesus. Because this guy, Jesus, he found comfort in the midst of even the cross. There's a comfort that's greater than your discouragement. There's a comfort that's greater than your affliction. There's a comfort that doesn't need things to be right around you for you to be comforted. And I want that for you. I want that to be lifted up in your heart. I want the hand of God to be lifted up in your heart. The life that he has in his hand to give you, I want that to be lifted up. Not the weakness, because the comfort you're crying out for, the life you're longing for, it's found in his hand. Consider Jesus. Consider him. And don't just consider him and that he found comfort, but consider what it is that comforted him. Because he entered into the earth and he entered into our death. Where we needed comfort, he needed comfort. And then he found comfort. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, consider this guy. You've encountered contradictions? Well, consider my man Jesus and the great contradiction he encountered because my man found comfort in the midst of that. And so you need comfort? Consider the one who found comfort. A comfort that was greater than even the death of the cross. Because you'll find the same comfort he found. And you'll be comforted with the same comfort that he's comforted with. Does that make sense? (laughs) 
we so much think of Jesus as just the man, and he is the man. And so when you hear me say it that way, I'm not trying to diminish that Jesus is a man. But we've, we've lost sight of Jesus, the wisdom of God. We've lost sight of Jesus, the faith of God. We've lost sight that, yes, Jesus is a man, but he's also the word made flesh, the word of life, the faith made flesh, the faith that's been from the beginning that created all things. He is also that made flesh, the faith in which everything that has life got it from was made flesh in Jesus. The very thing from which the life of everything that lives and breathes came out of was made flesh in Jesus. You, man, you think you need life and you think you need breath? Well, where else do we think we would look other than the faith that gave birth to everything that lives? So Jesus is the beginning and end of the faith that will help you in your time of need. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's the beginning and end of the faith that will supply you with grace and comfort when you encounter things that are contrary to life. So consider him. Consider Jesus who found help in his time of need. Right? Don't consider, well, this guy found help. How is it that this guy found help? What is it that helped him in that place? That's one of the ways he's a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our way. He come and blazed the trail for us and showed us where the comfort and help and grace that we need is found when we're being afflicted. Consider him. How do, and listen, God's so good, you, you don't even have to figure it out. You could just have that question come up in your mind. Where did this guy find comfort in the midst of the death of the cross? How did this guy find the strength to endure? in the midst of that. How did that happen? How did this guy not try to come down off the cross? How was this guy filled with patience in the midst of being nailed to a tree? Let those questions come out of you towards the Lord and you know what is quick to come? A revelation. Because God doesn't desire for you to figure it out. He desires for you to ask. Is there a verse that says, ask and you shall receive? He who desires wisdom, let him ask God. <laughs> and so consider Jesus, man. This guy found everything we need when he walked the earth as the son of man. Consider, how did he find it? What served it to him? And ask God that. You will find God serving you because he's already trying to do it to begin with. That's why Jesus came. You will find your life animated with the very nutrients that animated the Lord Jesus. That caused him to even be comforted in the midst of the death of the cross, man. So that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. Consider the faith that was made flesh in Jesus. Right? Glory to God. Acts chapter 3, verse 12. And this is talking about the contradiction. Acts chapter 3, verse 12. I read from the King James, but some of you that are like detail-oriented will realize I changed some of the spelling of the words. Like I changed the yees to you. <laughs> I changed it. But I leave the King James, but I just changed those old English words. <laughs> so I'm like, is he changing the scripture? Well, no, I'm changing the letter so that it sounds more palatable to our modern English vernacular. Well, that's some big words. Where did I learn those words? <laughs> Who knew I knew words such so big? <laughs> here, I, here I am thinking I was just a heathen. This $10 words, Barb. Maybe I am a theologian. <laughs> I don't have any degrees. I don't have the honor that comes from the world. The world won't honor me as a theologian, but man, I use words like vernacular more often, and next thing you know, I'm going to get an honorary doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel at this? Or why look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Now they had just, a, a guy who was lame was just healed. And he says, Why marvel you at this? as if we had done this by our own strength, as if this man walked on account of our sufficiency on a, and on account of our ability. 
the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His Son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. This is talking about Jesus suffering contradictions of sinners against Himself. But you denied the Holy One and just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life and killed the prince of life. I mean, you delivered up the guy who came into the earth named Jesus, which means he shall save his people. You delivered up the guy unto death and denied the one who came to save you from your sin and desired a murder to be granted to you. You killed the prince of life, whom God has raised from the dead, wherefore, whereof we are witnesses of. What he's saying is, this guy that was lame, he received strength by the power of the life in the Lord Jesus. Their strength in the name of the Lord Jesus. The faith that was revealed in the Lord Jesus had the strength of God's life in that strength in this man's legs. The one whom you denied, <laughs> that's what this witness is of, that he hath been raised from the dead. <laughs> Can you imagine those guys sitting there listening to this? I mean, sometimes I try to like picture myself being there, right? And just like in real time, like what's going on in these guys, right? that crucified him. Well, I want to jump to Psalm 22 now. We're still talking about the contradiction of sinners Jesus endured against himself. I just want to paint some pictures of that and what it looked like and, and what it is. Psalm 22, guys, for those of you that, that don't know or haven't heard me say it yet, it's a prophetic psalm. And, and what it's doing is, yes, it's David talking in the psalm, and David is experiencing real things, but it's by the power of the Spirit of the Son David is talking. And he's even giving echo to Jesus in the heart of the Son when the Son was going to come and walk in the earth. Right? And so Psalm 22 is giving us like a snapshot. You ever watched a movie and they start like near the end, and then as the movie goes on, they jump back and you get a snapshot of what, why things were this way? Well, Psalm 22 has given us a snapshot of what was in the heart of Jesus and what he was experiencing as he was being nailed to the cross, right? So we see in the future, Jesus was crucified and the Psalms jumps back and, and gives us a picture of what the contradiction my man was experiencing when he was on the cross so that we can, you know, really get a good view of it. And so we'll pick it up with, with 22 verse 12. This would be Jesus talking. This is what would have been in his heart. You can be with Jesus on the cross. One of Annette's visions was powerful because it was like she was there with Jesus on the cross. The Spirit could catch you up to the place where you, it's as if you're present there with the Lord, right? Through the Scriptures. The Scriptures are powerful like that. But this would be Jesus in his heart. It says, many bulls, Psalm twenty-two, twelve. many bulls have compassed me. That's the Pharisees surrounding him with the death. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me all around. They have compassed me about. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. What did Peter say about the devil? He roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Didn't Jesus tell the Pharisees, you were of your father, the devil? Well, who was there gaping on Jesus with their mouths? The Pharisees. And they were like a roaring lion and they were seeking to devour him. And they were seeking to devour him with the contradiction that was come upon Jesus, which was the death of the cross. And when they were gaping upon him with their mouths, what they're saying to Jesus is, where's your God now? Right? This cross contradicts the idea that God's with you. Where is he? How can this be happening to you if he's with you? If you really are the son of God, let him come for you. And so they were gaping upon him with their mouth. They were saying that Jesus wasn't the son of God, that God wasn't his father, that God wasn't with him. This guy walked around saying God was his father. This guy walked around saying he was the son of God. Well, look at the death that's come upon him at the cross. Where's his God now? This death contradicts that he's the son. This death stands opposed to his name. It stands opposed to his reputation. It stands opposed to the idea that God honors him because cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. And so they were gaping on his mouth with the contradiction. Those are some of the things we hear when we encounter contradictions. We might not see the Pharisees sitting around us, but we hear those same voices. Where's your God now? How can he be with you if this is happening? How can you be his son or daughter if this is come upon you? How can he be your father, really be your father, if this 
affliction is in your life. So they gaped upon them with their mouths as a ravening. That, that's how the devil, just so you guys know, do you see how the devil tried to devour Jesus? Do you see what he used? The contradiction Jesus. He was trying to cause Jesus to grow weary and faint in his mind. It's what he was trying to do. And he was trying to use the contradiction of death to do it. Now, we don't just see that in Jesus. It discerns our lives. Jesus becomes a word of wisdom for us about our life, a word of knowledge about our life. And we see the way the devil tries to devour us, the way he roams around like a roaring lion with us, is he also tries to point at the things that we see that are contrary to life and all that is good. He tries to point at the afflictions we encounter. He tries to point at the things that stand opposed to our name and our honor and our reputation. And he tries to get us to consider that. He tries to get us to look upon that, to give our undivided attention to the affliction, because he knows that will cause us to grow weary and faint in our mind. And he knows that we won't be filled with patience as we desire life to see life manifest, but we'll be compelled to take up our own lives. That's how he tries to devour you. That's what it means that he's roaming around. We're not ignorant of the devices of the serpent. We understand how this belly crawler rolls. And what I even want to say is, I feel bad for the snakes in the world that they even have to be associated with that scoundrel. Because even the snakes are deserving of more honor than that scoundrel. He's not even worthy to be associated with a belly crawler. And the reason why, I mean, it's a snake, I mean, he's going to eat dust all the days of his life. What that means is, is he's going to return to dust. <laughs> uh. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ra ravening, ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. This is Jesus. He's talking about the contradiction that he was enduring. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. It is so much like wax that it's melted down here to where I feel it in my belly. Have you guys ever felt like a... Somebody's banging on the wall next door. Have you ever felt that deep gut feeling punch where you feel like you, that feeling in the back of your throat where it dropped? That's what Jesus is describing. He's in the midst of the contradiction. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. Remember when Jesus talked about Lazarus and the rich man? And Lazarus was there with dogs licking his sores? He's talking about himself in that example. And he was drawing a distinction between the Pharisees and the way they interpreted the how to inherit the kingdom and himself and what was the real way to inherit the kingdom. Dogs have circled around me. Dogs are licking my sores. That's how much of a worm I am. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Th that's Jesus describing the contradiction of sinners he endured against himself. He's, he's putting like real in-depth imagery there. And so the contradiction Jesus endured from sinners against himself is that he came to his own and his own received him not. <laughs> he came to his own kind and his own kind received him not. It says they didn't behold anything of beauty in him. You're talking about the Lord of glory. You're talking about the guy who created everything. You're talking about the guy with whom everything that breathes got their breath from. That there's nothing that lives and exists outside of him having given them life and breath to everything. That's who you're talking about. And he came to the very creation, the very people that he gave life and breath to, and they received him not. They denied that he was the Son of God. They denied that, he, that God was his Father. They denied that he was the Lord from heaven, come down to be with them to save them from their sin. 
And because they denied him, because they stood opposed to him, they crucified him even unto his death. Now imagine what type of great contradiction that is. Can you imagine the contradiction Jesus felt inside of himself in that moment? I mean, you think Jesus didn't know? I gave them life. I gave them breath. They've come forth from my loins. Their breath has come forth from my mouth. I breathed into them. I created them. They come from me. Can you imagine what it felt like for him in that moment that everything he gave life and breath to, every being that he created was now rejecting him? The very people he gave life and breath to were rejecting him. And he only came to breathe into their lungs again. He only came to give them life and breath again. He is the word that holds all things together. And now the creation, the creation whom he loved, the creation whom he gave life and breath to, had now entered into the darkness of death. Well, how can he hold his creation together? How can he breathe into their lungs once again life unless he enters into their death also? And so he's just trying to hold his creation together. And in order to hold it together, he's got to be ravaged by the death that's ravaging his creation. So there he is holding it together. And they hated him. Can you imagine the contradiction? I mean, have you ever felt that thing inside of you where you know you tried to do something good and what was in your heart was to do something beautiful for someone and they hated you? And that confusion you feel? But I was just... But it was just, I mean, and we can feel sorrowful at first, but then many times we can become bitter. <laughs> right? We go walking away. No, don't they know? You know, mumbling under our breath, talking to ourselves. I'm just trying to give some powerful imagery to the contradiction he felt. The scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin. Imagine that contradiction. We just gloss over these things and we only read it many times. We were taught to read it from a penal substitution view. But thinking about the contradiction, he who knew no sin, he who had no fellowship with darkness or death or lack, he who had no intimacy with corruption, allowed the fullness of all death and corruption and sin and wickedness and darkness to come upon him and even be born in his body. I mean, he is eternal life. He is light and life. His only fellowship was with life. He only knew life. He only knew goodness. He only knew virtue. He only knew beauty. Now, can you imagine someone in whom there is no sin, someone who is no darkness, someone in whom only light and life is? Can you imagine the contradiction of that person now partaking of flesh and blood and taking into themselves the fullness of sin and death? I mean, the contradiction of eternal life and death dwelling in the same thing at the same time. And we feel that contradiction, guys, as those who've been born from above. Because we can have eternal life dwelling in us right now. And we can feel the fullness of sin and death manifesting in our bodies. And that contradiction can try to bring confusion. And it can kind of cause you to grow weary and faint in your mind. Because how can this be? It doesn't make sense. How can I be full of death? How can there be death circling around me if I'm the daughter of God? If I'm the son of God? If God's really my father, how can this be happening? You see the contradiction? Mm. Looking unto Jesus. So in that place of that great contradiction, Jesus found comfort. Where did he find it? How did it come down? How did the contradiction get dealt with? How was that contradiction cast down in his heart? What cast it down? Right, that's the part that we want to know about. And so in the midst of the great contradiction Jesus suffered against himself, he considered the glory of the Father. He considered the the glory of the Father is the life that's in the Father. He considered the life and the glory that he and the Father shared from the beginning. He considered that life. He considered the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. He he didn't meditate on the death of the cross. 
He didn't consider the deadness he saw in his body. He didn't consider the deadness he saw all around him. Just like it says with Abraham, that Abraham didn't consider the deadness he saw in his body. That Abraham didn't consider the deadness he saw in Sarah's womb. He didn't fix his eye on the deadness. He didn't look unto the deadness. He didn't give his attention to the deadness. Just like Abraham didn't. But Abraham glorified God. What that means is Abraham considered the God who raises the dead. Abraham considered the God in whom death has nothing in. Abraham considered the life that even overcomes death. Abraham considered the life that can make dead flesh alive, never to be tasted by death again. This is what Jesus was considering when the contradiction of the cross came upon him. That's what he was fixed on. Not the death. He was fixed on the life. The life that was in him. The glory that was in him. The same glory he shared with the Father from the beginning. This is what he was thinking of. He considered the life he shared with the Father from the beginning and how that life would even glorify his dying flesh with immortality. He twisted on the light, not the darkness. He didn't twist on the darkness. The darkness did not become the meditation of his heart. The light did. And there's the, the, this cross talks about a dark cloud coming and dwelling there. When he was at the cross, do you know in the scriptures that that many times a dark cloud demonstrated God there talking? <laughs> he considered God with me, in me. That's what he began considering. Jesus saw the resurrection when he was nailed to the cross. He saw the resurrection. He looked at it. He fixed his attention on it attentively. He looked away from the attention of the, the affliction of the cross and he fixed his sight on the resurrection. And that resurrection, what it did is it caused a different contradiction. It contradicted the death of the cross. It contradicted the contradiction. The death that has come upon me? Oh, that's right. The Father is supping with me. I am the temple of the living God. And the Father has come and supped with me, and he will cause this death to pass over me. The destroyer shall not be able to come unto my house. That's what he was twisting on. The resurrection Jesus thought of, it contradicted the idea that Jesus was separated from the love of God. It contradicted the idea that Jesus didn't have what he needed for life and godliness. It comforted him in the midst of his affliction. Jesus looked unto the Father. He considered the Father. That's why Abraham talks about that. What is it? it says Abraham's the father of what? Faith. The faith. What faith? The faith that would be revealed in Jesus. When was that faith revealed in Jesus? You know when it was revealed in Jesus? When he was on the cross. What did he need when he was on the cross? Comfort, strength, grace. Why did he need it? He needed to be able to endure. He needed so he wouldn't grow weary in his mind and faint. And so Jesus on the cross didn't consider the deadness he saw in his body, just like it says about Abraham. He glorified the Father. The life that was in the Father that he shared with the Father from the beginning was lifted up in his heart, and it cast it down the depth of the cross from his heart. And what happened was, is Jesus received strength from that faith. He received strength from that faith. And it spoke comfortably to him, is what it did. It pampered his dying flesh. I thirst. Jesus says, I thirst. Do you know what he was thirsting for? Comfort. And where did he look? The Father. And he considered the life that he shared with the Father in the beginning. That's right. This light brought forth light out of the midst of darkness. I'm in the midst of darkness, and the life I share with the Father will bring forth light out of the midst of this. That faith strengthened him. It comforted him. It pampered his dying flesh. It comforted his flesh from the pain of the cross. If you're in pain, the comfort you need is in the hand of God. The scripture says the faith Jesus considered when he was on the cross says it disesteemed the shame of the cross in his sight. It disesteemed. It says his heart disesteemed the, the death of the cross, the contradiction. It means the death of the cross was cast down. How was it cast down? It wasn't cast down by his willpower. It was cast down by the faith he beheld, the resurrection, the Father, the life in the Father, that cast down the death of the cross. And so guys, the resurrection of Jesus, 
it gives us eyes to see what Jesus considered. It gives us eyes to see what was in Jesus's heart and what he was thinking about as he was suffering on the death of the death of the cross. It gives us eyes to see where Jesus found comfort, where he found grace, how he endured, what kept him with a sound mind. Why wasn't the spirit of fear born inside of this guy? How was his mind kept sound? Well, we see in the resurrection what it is, the faith that kept his mind sound, right? The affliction we encounter in this world, like I alluded to earlier, it feels like the strong bulls of Bashan have circled us about. We could go read Psalm 22 and many of us could feel like, I felt that before. You know, that's, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You can even think it's talking about you. It is talking about you. That's your life he entered into. <laughs> anyway, so they, 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 they can feel like a, a lion devouring us when we encounter the contradictions. We can see the afflictions are contrary to us. We can see they're contrary to life and godliness. They can make us fear wearied in our minds. They war against our minds, trying to fill us with discouragement. That's what they try to do. When we encounter contradictions against ourselves, when you encounter contradictions against yourself and against your lives in the world, what you're needing is a plate full of life. You're needing to see that the Father prepared, prepared a table full of life for you through the Lord Jesus. That's what you're needing. You're only in need of considering Jesus and the glory that was revealed in Him in the resurrection. That glory is dwelling in you now. That life is dwelling in you now by the hand of the Father, account of the Father's love for you. You're in need of considering the life that's in you now. The life that you don't need to wonder what it looks like. You don't need to wonder what it does. You see what it does inside of the body of Jesus' resurrection. You see what the life you have now does to death. You're in need of considering the glory that you have now. That that glory you have now, that life you have now, gives you a certainty that life will come pouring out of you and nothing can keep it from happening. That's what you're in need of. That's what Jesus considered. This death can't keep my life down. I shall not want. There's comfort for you in Jesus. There's strength for you in Jesus. There's rest for your souls in Jesus. There's rest for your souls in your flesh in seeing the life that manifested in the resurrection of Jesus and seeing that life is in you and you are in that life. Father is in you and you are in the Father. That's the intimacy John talked about us having through the Son. Right? Jesus said the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. I pray that they see that I'm in them and they're in me and we're in you. That's what you're in need of seeing. You see, Jesus is the son of man. You see the life of the father in him. You see, you're the son of man, which means the father has come to give you that same life. All you do is you call upon his name for that life. He comes and sups with you. He makes your body his temple. And now you see you're in the father and the father's in you. And that's what you're in need of considering when you encounter contradictions. That will strengthen you with grace. It will comfort the pain in your life. It will cause you to endure. It will keep you from growing weary and fainting in your mind. Your mind can't faint if it's considering a life that can't die. Your mind can't faint if it's considering a life that raises the dead. Do you know what will cause your mind to faint? If you're considering the deadness. If you're looking unto the deadness. If you're giving your undivided attention to the deadness. If the deadness becomes lifted up in your heart, that's when you'll feel faint. And so it's a simple thing. It doesn't mean there's any shame. You're just in need of being stirred up by way of remembrance, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm stirring myself up by way of remembrance. Right? God contradicted death in the resurrection of Jesus. Death was saying something. It was speaking to us a word that opposed us, opposed God as our Father, opposed all that was good in life, and God come and contradicted it when He raised Jesus from the dead. <laughs> Can you imagine the word? that the death that was upon Jesus was speaking in the earth? We, I mean, the Pharisees gave utterance to some of it. You could see the word that they were giving utterance to by the death they saw and how it was a contradiction to the truth. And then God contradicted the word of death when he raised Jesus from the dead and actually saved his people. <laughs> oh, man. So God gave us something 
to secure us, which means comfort us and keep our minds from growing weary. He gave us something that can contradict the death and the afflictions we encounter that are contrary to us in our lives. He gave us something that will contradict that death we see when he raised Jesus from the dead. He gave us something that will disesteem the death we encounter in this world in our hearts. He gave us something. He has given us his son, his only begotten son, right? He gave us the resurrected Jesus so that that resurrected Jesus can cast down the contradictions we encounter in this world from our hearts so that it can disesteem those contradictions in our midst so that they can be made little so that we think little or nothing of the contradictions, just like the Apostle Paul would come and say, I suppose that these afflictions that came upon me, these contradictions, I suppose all these contradictions that came against my life, I consider them to be nothing in comparison to the glory that's in me that will be revealed. Do you see what he's saying? That he saw God condemn death in the resurrection of Jesus. And that, that resurrection, that life that manifested in Jesus, it started casting down the death that surrounded Paul in this world. It started disesteeming the contradictions and afflictions Paul encountered. It caused him to think little or nothing of them. He didn't give them attention anymore. Whereas before, he was giving death and the afflictions his undivided attention. But now, he became captivated by a life that conquers death in the flesh. Right? Does that make sense? You guys follow that? And so, I didn't come to tell you some new wisdom. And you don't need some new wisdom. Really what we need is just to be stirred up by way of remembrance. Because the afflictions and contradictions we encounter, they, they war against our minds and they try to make us grow weary and faint. And we're just in need of being stirred up and coming together and considering Jesus. Looking unto the faith that was revealed in Jesus. Because that will keep us, right? He will keep us. He will. Glory to God. Um, before we leave, I just want to pray for anyone who, who might uh, be experiencing a contradiction in their life, whether it be in their health, whether it be uh, pain in their body, whether it be a, a contradiction. Um, maybe there's corruption in some of their relationships or in their professional life or, or whatever it may be, whatever contradiction that anybody might be encountering. Um, I just want to pray for you. You can close your eyes if you're watching. You don't, or if you're here, you can close your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes. The Lord does not need you to close your eyes to minister to you. I remember when I was like, I love the people who ordained me. Dave and Bonnie Duell. God bless those people. You know, Bonnie is like Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And I remember when I was like 23 or 24 and we first went to Dave and Bonnie's church, I didn't know nothing about nothing. And there was a whole lot of legalism in me because <laughs> I was a perfectionist. And I remember somebody prayed or something and they didn't close their eyes. And so I had a problem with that. <laughs> I, I, well, no, I could see the guy on the stage. And so I was just talking about it. And I was like, well, there was no, you know, and my, I had a law, right? If, if the guy's really praying powerfully, the eyes will be closed. <laughs> and if the eyes aren't closed, where's the power? <laughs> That's so stupid now. What's that, babe? Exactly. No, no, exactly. The hypocrisy, right? Well, Bonnie, God bless Bonnie. You see, Bonnie wasn't living by the fear of, well, if I come and say something to this guy who's in our church for now two weeks, he might leave the church. Bonnie come and said, the power of God is not found in whether the guy's eyes were closed or not. <laughs> and he just told me straight out. And you know what? Normally I can argue. My wife can testify to this. I can dissect some things. And I could not argue with what that woman said. You know it's worse than praying with your eyes open. <laughs> Peeking. <laughs> anyway, I might, I, I might have just been checking out. The, it could, I can't remember why my eyes were open. It might have been because we were just there checking out the church, right? And so I was watching. 
you know. But I'll says close your eyes and pray i do see where it says to watch and pray yeah yeah no listen and, and i you know we stayed in that church and I, I i i thank god for bonnie and dave duell not just in my life but what they've meant in the earth and i thank god for bonnie that she would just say what needs to be said and not worry about the fallout you know so you can close your eyes if you like or you cannot close your eyes right as i close my eyes i see you know, I see Jesus. I see the, the Son of Man, and, and I, not just in the sense of how Stephen saw the Son of Man, but I see that for you. Jesus is with you there in your midst. We are gathered together with you in your home right now, and Jesus is there with you in your midst. There's no sin in Jesus. He has no darkness or death or corruption in him. There's no weakness in him. There's no lack in him. He is there in your midst and he is there to destroy your fellowship with the death and the darkness in this world. He is there to uh, minister his incorruptible life to you. He is there to remove pain from you. There's comfort in his hand for you. There's strength in his hand for you. There's grace in his hand for you. Be made whole in the name of Jesus. Receive comfort in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you ever liveth to destroy our fellowship with destruction. Jesus is there with you in your midst. His hand is stretched forth towards you and his hand is stretched forth towards you to destroy your fellowship with the destruction that's come against your life. He is there to stand against the destruction that is trying to come against your life and he has absorbed that destruction into his own body and consumed it to the uttermost. That pain, that death, that destruction that is trying to come against your life that is standing opposed to your life right now, it has been bound inside of the body of Jesus and the internal life that makes everything whole has been loosed inside of the body of Jesus and his hand is stretched forth towards you, releasing that eternal life into your whole spirit, soul, and body. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys so much for coming and being with me and uh, receiving and considering Jesus with me. You guys are blessed and I'm blessed for having you here. Have a good day. You guys online have a great day. Thank you so much.